Thank you, choir. Thank you, worship team. Thank you so much for leading us into the presence of the Lord. It's a story we have known as children, whether you grew up in the church or haven't, and its outcome we are ma many of us are familiar with. As I read this, I want you to ask yourself this story. As I read about a miracle of Jesus from the Gospels, I want you to listen to it carefully, but I want you just to think about something. Does this sound familiar? And one number we're going to turn on here in just a second. It comes from the book of Mark, chapter 8, and this is what the Bible says. In those days, when there was again a large crowd, they had nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples and said to them, Mark 8.2, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. The Bible says, and his disciples answered, where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? Look at that question again. Where will anyone be able to find enough bread to satisfy these people? Verse 6, and he directed the people to sit down on the ground, taking the seven loaves. He gave thanks and broke them, started giving them to his disciples. There's your first clue, seven loaves. His disciples served them, and they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish, another clue. And after he had blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied, and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over the broken, of the broken pieces. Now look at verse 9, about four thousand were there. Four thousand were there. Now there is your clue because I want you to see how important this is. It's the feeding of the four thousand. Sound familiar? Ready for this? Because we know the story of the feeding of the how many? Five thousand. And it basically happened two chapters earlier. Two chapters earlier was the feeding of the 5,000. One small boy with five loaves and two fishes begins to feed 5,000 people. Just to, maybe if you don't know the story, maybe if you're watching online and no one has ever told you the story, let me read you the story very quickly of the feeding of the 5,000. And when he saw Mark 6, we read Mark 8. When he saw, when Jesus went to shore, he saw a large crowd, felt compassion, just like the Mark 8 story, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, he began to teach them many things. And when it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate, just like the other place. And it's already quite late. Send them away so they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And they found, they said, we have five loaves and two fish. The other story, seven loaves and a few small fish. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, the Bible says, looking up to heaven, blessed the food, broke the loaves, kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. He divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and they were all satisfied. Now this time, instead of seven baskets, they picked up 12 baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. I have this sneaky suspicion that he was giving the 12 baskets to the disciples to remind them of something. And there were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. Do you understand that the feeding of the multitudes took place twice? One with 4,000 and one with 5,000. Mark 6, 5,000 people fed 
with five loaves and two fish. Mark 8, same situation, 4,000 people, seven loaves and a few fish. So I want you to think about this. So in Mark 8, we have less people, more food, the same Jesus, and yet the disciples couldn't get it right. Think, think about this. So when Jesus asks the question in Mark chapter 8, what are we going to do? I think he was looking for a victory answer, not them going back to an old place. I think they should have said, Jesus, if you fed 5,000, you can feed 4,000. If you did it before, you can do it again. That, that should have been the answer instead of how, listen to it, where will anybody be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? If there is a verse four and a half, it would have been this. And Jesus said, are you kidding me? That's what it would have said. What just happened two chapters earlier? It's caught my attention because it was two men in Detroit. And two men in Detroit were the very two guys that worked so hard to, to perfect what they felt like was going to be the greatest grease-cutting, dirt-destroying, bacteria-eliminating cleanser on the planet. And it was called 409. How many have ever heard of 409? Here's what's amazing. Creating the ultimate cleanser didn't just happen. It didn't happen on the, when someone asked them, where did you get their name? And this is what they said. It literally took us 409 times to get it right. And all I thought about was this. I don't want to be 409. I don't want to be the disciples that, that, Oh, get, get it. I understand you couldn't get it in Mark 6, but I don't want to be in the same place again in Mark chapter 8. I don't want to be the one that just keeps going over and over again. And how do we get unstuck from a place that seems to be, listen carefully, the same battle over and over again? How do we get, how do we get victory? Maybe we can say it like this. When does victory come from over an old habit? When does it come from that bad place that our mind goes to, or maybe our eyes go to, or maybe our feet go to? When does it finally stop that we say, God, you gave us the victory? That if we saw him deliver in Mark 6, why wouldn't it be enough to get us through Mark chapter 8? And I saw something happen in David's life that gave me hope. And like Psalm 106 that we read, I believed his promise. And let me just tell you something. I started singing his praises. And I believe today, if you can get this promise, I believe God is going to put a joy in your heart. And I believe he's going to bring victory over areas that seem to be hounding you, that you find yourself in the same place over and over again. David had his feeding of the 5,000 moment. Something would happen to him twice, but not like the disciples. David was determined not to be 409. In fact, David was just going to end up being one. 
At one time it was going to happen, learned his lesson, and found, I believe, a moment of victory. And I want to walk you through something that brought victory for my own heart. I want to take you to two chapters of the Old Testament. First Chronicles 21 and First Chronicles 27 show us David's battle. And in fact, it's going to be the same battle. It's the feeding of the 5,000 battle that David goes through. Fails in 21, but victory comes in 27. And I want you to see the same thing that happened. David is faced with the same Oldian, where 21 is like Mark 6. But man, when you get to 1 Chronicles 27, it doesn't look like Mark 8, that you're asking, how come, that, that, or why can't we get this one right, that we keep doubting what God wants to say. One of the most catastrophic decisions David ever made as being king was counting his fighting men, his army, in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. David was not numbering them, and I want you to understand this. David was not numbering his troops because he was getting prepared for war. He was numbering his troops. Get these two words down, both for security and for significance. He thought, with my numbers, it gives me significance as the largest army, but it also gives me security that when I count on these, it was a boasting thing. The number would be his significance and security. Let me speak from a pastor, pastors that are watching online. It becomes something that pastors and leaders do all, all, all the time. And, the, and it goes like this. I've, I've not only participated in it, but I've tried to find my significance and security. And it goes like this. How many does your church run? Or how many attend your church on Sunday? I've, I've played all the games in all my ministry. I've played all the games. And when they ask you, you pray that they ask you on Mother's Day or Easter because those are your biggest numbers that you want them to ask you on. Because it gives you security. These people attend our church. And then people are looking to get the 500 and 1,000. And I'm telling you, this is exactly what David was doing. Looking for security and significance on something that can never bring it. Or let me say it to you like this. Jot this down. He was counting men instead of counting on God. He was counting men instead of going, wait a second. It doesn't matter how many men I have. If I trust in the true and living God, that's enough for me. That's what brings victory. Then all of a sudden, this demonically instigated and, and, and so deceptive battle came. And the results of what David did was catastrophic. Let me read it to you. First Chronicles 21. Here's the first. This is the Mark 6. This is the feeding of the 5,000 that that something happens and a great failure. Then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Watch this now. And it says, so David said to Joab, which is this general, and to the prince of the people, go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan, security and significance, and bring me word that I may know their number so I can tell all the other guys. Joab said, may the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are, but my Lord, the King, look, look at this, this, this yield sign. Look at this moment that Joab has used. Really, in all the reading of the scriptures, the only time this guy got it right. Joab was really a horrible friend, but he got this one right. Look at this. My Lord, the King, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why does my Lord seek this thing? Why should this be a cause of guilt for Israel? Nevertheless, the King's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore, Joab departed went through all of Israel, came to Jerusalem. Joab gave him the number of all the people 
and Israel had a, a 1.1 million who drew the sword. Judah was almost a half a million who drew the sword. And when it was all said and done, the numbering was done. Here it comes. God was displeased with this thing. So he struck Israel. Look at this now. Here's what happens. David said to God, I have sinned greatly in that I've done this thing. He's trying to find, I'm counting on men instead of counting on God. But now, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I've done very foolishly. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel. 70,000 men of Israel fell that day. Not in a battle, not in a, not on, not a, not in a war, but because of the disobedience of this man. And God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. Think about this for just a moment, Times Square Church. Those that are listening online, this is so significant. The very thing he looked to as his strength came under judgment. The very thing he thought was going to bring security came under judgment. God took out 70,000, and I like to put this in there, counted men. 70,000 men. Those are part of the ones, the 1.5 million that were counted. And the very thing that David trusted in, don't miss this, was eventually taken away. Because God will remove anything that we seem to find our trust in to show you those things are, cannot last. The only person that can ever be trusted is God himself. It's, it's the only thing. Folks, you can't trust the church you can't trust us. You can't trust the Pope. Folks, people will let you down. When I hear from people, hey, I tried God and he let me down. I say, whoa, 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 whoa. You may have trusted a church. You may have trusted a pastor, but you can't trust God and be disappointed because God never disappoints anybody. But when we find ourselves finding security and significance somewhere else, so David counts and 70,000 people fall. Jot this down. Your sin never affects just you. Don't ever say, the biggest lie is it's my decision. Here's the biggest lie. This is my body. It doesn't affect anybody. This is my life. It's, it's a lie to ever think that a sinful decision only affects you. Nothing could be further from the truth. From abortion to divorce, to sex outside of marriage, to stealing and shoplifting, all of it is, affects directly and indirectly. Can I just tell you something? When you drive a car in New York City without any insurance, hmm, it affects people. You have to understand, you're going, well, it's my decision. It's my car. It's my life. It affects everyone. That's what God was trying to show us in the midst. And here's what's crazy. That while all of this is happening, that with David, all of these lives are in jeopardy here. Think about this. Probably a quarter of a million people's lives are affected by this. Think about it. If you add wives and the, 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 the spouses and the children, you're probably dealing with a quarter of a million people that happens. But here's the part I wanted to get to you. Now let me run you to David's Mark chapter 8. In the midst of going to 70,000 funerals, guess what happens to David in less than a year? The same situation, the same temptation, and David is facing his Mark 8, his feeding of 4,000. And all I kept thinking, when I started to read this chapter, I kept thinking, God is bringing him back to the counting place 
and something significant happens. And folks, I'm telling you, I want to just, just show you this because I believe that there is some victory moment here for us. This is going to be, if we trust his promises, we are going to leave singing God's praises. Here's what happens. First Chronicles 27 is another counting chapter. And I want to read to you two verses. This is what set me free and brought liberty. Here it comes. Look at First Chronicles 27. You'll see it on the screen. But David did not count those 20 years of age. This is a whole, this, the first 22 verses are them starting to add up numbers. And the Bible says, David did not count those 20 years of age and under. Why? Because the Lord had said he would multiply Israel as the stars of heaven. Do you understand what just happened? Don't, don't miss this. He's, let me read it to you again. But David did not count those. Why? Because the Lord had said he would multiply Israel as the stars of heaven. Now, I have to read the next verse because something else happens. But Joab, the son of Zariah, what does it say? Began to count them. I wanted to go, are you out of your minds? But he did not finish. Why? Because of this, wrath came to Israel because this guy was starting to count who discouraged David from counting in the first place. Folks, here's the words I love. But David did not count. Let me tell you why this was so important to me. The place that he was trying to find security in the numbers, the 1.5 million, the place that he thought that there would be significance of his army, the size of his army, the size of his people, that all of a sudden, that counting place, that spot, God was beginning to say, David, you don't have to do this. It's a challenge for anyone here that that, that counting spot, that Mark 8 spot, that you're looking for significance or security in something that can never give it to you. It can come from a title. I've watched people think if I can get this title in a business or in a church, or if I can be the CEO, or if I can be the owner or an entrepreneur, I've watched it with single people. If I can just make sure every Friday night I've got a date, I went online and got somebody that's going out with me. I've watched it where people thought that their families were only significant if there was a baby. And so all of a sudden, instead of fixing a marriage, they have a baby and think that a baby fixed a marriage. And can I tell you, after having four, not me having four babies, but after four children, if your marriage, your ma well, let me say it like this, children never fix your marriage. They just expose what's going on in your marriage. Because if your marriage is not strong, when those kids start coming along, I'm telling, folks, let me just say this. That's why when people ask me, they want to have children, I just say, listen, get a strong marriage. Because when those kids start coming, they want stuff. Like they want to eat and they want money. They want to allow, and I'm going like, listen, we want that as husband and wife, and we can't even do that. And then all of a sudden you bring a baby. But how does David get victory? How does David see victory? How come David doesn't count this time? Just stay with me for a moment. I want you to get this. Keep this in mind. Consequence did not keep David from counting. I want you to understand this. Consequence was not the thing that when all of a sudden 
everything cleared up, that David didn't simply go, now we can go ahead and, and, and we can go back to the same old thing. Consequence can't do it. Let me, let me tell you a, 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 a conversation I had with someone that worked for the government, the U.S. government. They were in a lot of trouble in their job. They did some things that literally they were going to be taken to trial. They were about, and they could possibly go to jail. And this gentleman has been testing the Lord all of his life and would not submit to God. But all of a sudden, as soon as he got in trouble, he called me up. It's amazing. And I told him, I said, I believe God will deliver you. But I'm telling you, this is what I told him. I said, but when the sky's clear, when all of a sudden everything gets put in order, and whatever, whatever happens, I'm telling you, you better know it was God that did this for you. This wasn't coincidence. It wasn't your ingenuity. It was nothing but the mercy of God. And I read him this passage. I said, the skies are going to clear. I, I sense it. But I said, but when they clear, you better, you better make sure that when all the skies clear, your hands are lifted up and you're saying, God did this for me. And I read him this passage over the phone. Listen to Exodus 9. Moses, this is the seventh plague of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven. And the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. And there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of, of, of the hail. Very heavy hail, such as had never been seen in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And listen to verse 27. And Pharaoh sent and called from Moses and Aaron, said to them, look at these words. This is Pharaoh. This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right. And I and my people are in the wrong. As soon as I read this, I'm going, man, bottle this up. Shut everything down. This guy just got right with God. Then Pharaoh sent and called. Listen to this. I'm sorry. Plead with the Lord that there have been enough of God's thunder and hail. And I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. There shouldn't have been three more plagues, but look what happens. Moses said, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I'll stretch out my hands. The thunder will cease and there'll be no more hail so that you may know that this is the Lord's. Now look at this, verse 33. So Moses went out from the city of Pharaoh, stretched out his hand. The thunder and the hail ceased and the rain no longer poured on the earth. Here it comes, folks. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again, hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he didn't let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. As soon as God cleared the weather, as soon as the hail was gone, all of a sudden, it was back to the old ways. Some of you are sitting in this place today, some of you are listening online today and God has miraculously cleared up your situation. And you better know this, that it's not for you to go back to an old way, but it's for you to go further into God and to know it is his mercy that has done this. It is his mercy that has done this. That when all of a sudden the sky's clear, the hail has stopped, it is God going. It's not for you to sin more. The repentance in Pharaoh's case wore off when the hail stopped. Think about this. When I think about Joab, David's general, who's present at both the sentences, I'm sorry, censuses, that Joab saw what took place. 
But all of a sudden, he decides to count. I'm going, what cleared up, Joab? What cleared up that you would go back to this? How did David get it, Joab? But you didn't get it. Because consequence is never enough to keep you from going back to an old way of life. You can sit there and go over. I, folks, I've done it. I've known people that have just gotten out of sin, that the weather clears up. They've gotten out of jail. They've gotten out of a drug rehab. They've gotten out of, out of, out of uh, uh, being sentenced. They've gotten out of an adultery. And as soon as everybody says, as soon as they know that a spouse has stopped the divorce proceeding, that they're not going to jail, that the charges have been dropped, that they have been reinstated. I've seen it with ministries, reinstated back into the ministries. All of a sudden, consequences cannot keep them from not going back. It has to be more than, man, that was really bad. I don't want to do this again. Sin is too strong. It's too strong to think that, man, it was bad, so I'm not going to do it because I don't want to be back there. I'm telling you, if you don't have what God has to give to us, consequences will never keep you from going back to an old place. Never. But there was something that David got that nobody else. How, so how do we break the cycle of returning back to sin? How do we break the cycle of that place of counting men, the place of not trusting God to provide for the multitudes in Mark 8? And this answer, I'm telling you folks, leaped off the pages. Give me a few minutes and let me show you what happened in my heart as I read this. Let me read it to you again. First Chronicles 27, 33. But David did not count those 20 years of, of age and under. Why? This is it, folks. Because the Lord had said he would multiply Israel as the stars of heaven. Look at those words. Because the Lord had said. Do you understand this? David did not count because the Lord had spoken. David did not go back to an old life because God was speaking to David. There is a David, David doesn't count because he's trusting God's word. The greatest weapon against going back to an old place, an old habit, is to realize that God's word God speaking to us is the only thing that can keep us. It's not recounting what happened in the past. It's not looking at the bad stuff, but it's going, God, if you said it, then I have to believe it because if the promises of God are true, then I can leave singing your praises. But if I don't believe what God said, I'd leave this place grumbling back in my tent. But God, I believe your word today. And God, I believe that I can sing praises in this house and God can be glorified. Folks, let me tell you a personal story. There was an area in my life when I was a single pastor that God was dealing with me on. And God was going heavily at an area when I was pastoring in Detroit. And I remember it to this day. It was a Friday night prayer meeting. I was driving home. We lived about two miles from the church. I was, I, it was just me driving home because I was living by myself. And I remember pulling into the garage. I was listening on, some of you may not even know what this word means, but I was listening on a cassette. How many remember what a cassette is? How many? How many listen to records? Anybody listen to records? 
How many had 45s? I just want to make sure I'm not. 33s? 78s? I've told people about 45s. They go, you have a gun? I said, no, it's a record. It's a record. I was listening to a sermon on a cassette. I sat in my garage. He was preaching on Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. And I remember pulling in. It was a struggle that was happening in my life. And this is what he said. I remember these words. And I believe these words. And the words in Acts 5, 9 says this. Why have you agreed to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Folks, I'm sitting in my garage listening to this. And the pastor said, what does it mean to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? I remember. And he said this. It's to see how far you can go in disobedience before God has to step in and stop you. Folks, it came like a thunder. He said, it's when you keep pushing God's patience. You don't stop until you see that the consequences are bad enough consequences, that you don't live by conviction anymore. Don't miss this. You don't live by conviction, but you live by consequences. You, feel the con you don't feel the conviction. You wait to see what your sin is going to begin to produce and going, okay, it's still not bad enough. It's not bad enough. It's not bad enough. And you keep on going. And all of a sudden, like a thunderclap, it came. Why do you put the spirit of the Lord to the test? And folks, I am telling you, at that moment, I believed Acts 5-9. At that moment, in that garage, God broke through in my life. At that moment, I said, God, I believe your word. I will no longer put you to the test. And at that moment, God brought freedom and deliverance in my life. In a moment, I saw it. And I saw what happens when you believe in the word of God. David was going back to a promise made in Genesis to Abraham. This is the reason why he doesn't count. This is the reason why he doesn't go back. He doesn't go back to find significance and security on the numbers that he has or what's in a bank account or what's on the, on the records or, or this home or this asset. He goes back. You ready for this? He goes back to a thousand-year-old promise in Genesis twenty-two seventeen. Let me read it to you. It says, God says, indeed, I will greatly bless you. I will multiply, this is what David said, your seed as the stars of heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore. And look what he says. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. Hallelujah. David's victory was in what God had said. Not fear, not consequences, but because God spoke something. Folks, don't miss this. Some of you keep going through the same things because you've gone cold on God's words. You can't, you can't expect to keep, to, to find victory if God's word isn't strong in your life. You can't eat one meal a week at church and think that's enough to get me through this week. You have to eat this book every single day. Every day this has to be part of your life. Listening to a mess. I heard one man said it like this. The Bible is meant to be bread for daily use, not cake on special occasions. You can't come to church and eat cake. 
You've got to come and go, I need this every day. Every day I've got to be in this book. Every day. Because it's these promises that keeps me going back to an old place. Or as the great American evangelist D.L. Moody said, he said, the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this Bible. This is what God God's given us. David all of a sudden doesn't count because God gave him a promise. He trusted a promise. Complaining that God is silent with a closed Bible. Think about this. I have people going, God doesn't talk to me while their Bibles are shut. It's like expecting to receive a text message when your phone is off. Keep the book open. God will speak to you. Keep the book open. God will speak to you. And folks, I'm telling you, those that are listening, those that are online, keep this book open. When this book is open, God was, God spoke to me. Listen, Psalm 106 came to me today. I was reading the Bible before I came to church. I'm not reading it to get a sermon. I'm reading it because I need to be nourished every single day. People think church is going to keep you out of sin. Folks, this is just a celebration place with a whole bunch of people. Can I just tell you, this is not a museum. This is a hospital. We are all sick in this place. Look at the person next to you and kind of just... Are you sick? And it's not COVID. The only thing that can set us free is by trusting in God's promises. When they trusted, they sang praises. When they didn't believe his promises, they grumbled. I'm tired of grumbling. Back in the same thing. I don't have enough of this. Where are we going to get enough food to feed 4,000 people? Some of you are, listen, you don't even have 4,000 people. Where are we going to get enough food to feed our kids? Where are we going to get enough food to, if not 4,000, for four, you got to trusted God for it. But open up this book and realize that we've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. Never seen the righteous forsaken. David doesn't count. David doesn't count because David realizes, David realizes there's a promise that's as good for him a thousand years later. Why? Because when God speaks, it's truthful. Sin will always overpromise and underdeliver. But Jesus gives life more abundantly. David realizes there is no security in 1.5 million people. There will always be a bigger army, but there will never be a bigger God. There will always be a bigger army. You can sit there and go, I got 1.5. Then someone's going to show up and go, we got 1.6 and we've got 1.7 and we've got this. But nobody can ever show up and say, my God's bigger than your God. I serve a God that the Bible says the heavens can't contain him. I serve a God that has spoke and galaxies were put into order. You can come up with any God that you want, but it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that makes promises and keeps them, makes promises and delivers. You will never trust God and be disappointed. Keep your eyes on God's word. Keep your eyes on this book. Keep your eyes. He doesn't lie. God is truthful. God will set you free today. God will set you free today. I'm telling you, when you open up this book, God's mouth opens up and he starts to speak to us. Open this book. Stand with me. I'm tired. Let's close. I, I'm ready to 
shout. There's more stuff to share. Maybe we'll do it at the one o'clock. I, I, I'm just telling you. I, I want to give you. I want to give you a two thousand year old promise. It's in Romans six fourteen. Two thousand year old promise. Here it is. The Bible says. I know I got them all messed up with the production and everything else. So whether it comes on the, here's what it says. For sin shall no longer be your master. You are not under the law, but you are under grace. <laughs> Pastor Tim, how, how can I not go back to an old thing? Here it is. Look at Romans 6.14. How can I not go back to an old thing? Because sin shall no longer be your master. Sin shall no longer be your master. Some of you keep going back. You got Mark 6. You messed up. Mark 8. You messed up. You've got other Marks. But you just keep going back to the same thing, the same thing, the same thing, the same thing. And you have forgotten God's promise. You keep thinking, I can't do this again. I can't do this again. I can't do this again. I was reading the story of a general in World War II that was in one of the Japanese prison camps. During that camp, the, the, the general of that camp took the allied general and they mercilessly beat him. Just, just roughly treated him and tortured him. And finally, when the allies won the war, Japan had surrendered. This general was so beaten up and bruised that with the help of some fellow soldiers limping, came to the very desk of the general that put all this torture on him. And I, and I remember reading the words as he's limping there. And as he gets there, because the victory has been given to him in his beat up condition. I was reading the story. He says he's looked, holding on these people, the general in the desk. And he says, you have been relieved of your authority. I'm in charge now. And it says that the general walked away. And all of a sudden, there's a beat up and broken man. And folks, can I just tell you over that habit, that sin, that website, that relationship that holds you in bondage? Some of you are limped into church today and we're here to help you. And as you get there, here's your words. You have been relieved of your command. You shall not be my master any longer. I'm under grace. I'm under grace. I'm under grace. I'm under grace. Hallelujah. I'm under grace today. Hallelujah. 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 Think of it. God's word and God's grace relieves sin of its authority. That habit, that chapter, that website, that relationship you keep running back to to try to find security and significance. God says in your in limp and beat up self, you just got to come and say, I relieve you of your command. You shall not master of why. I've got a 2,000 year old promise in Romans 6 14 that says, I'm under grace. And because I'm under grace, you will not be the master over me anymore.
to promise. David did not count. Why? He trusted a thousand-year-old promise. He didn't have to count the men. He counted on God that said, I made a promise a thousand years ago. I'll continue to keep that promise. Some of you are sitting here today. You're standing with me in that balcony. And something in you, there's something speaking to you today that just wants to get you out of this place. And I'm telling you, I'm going to invite you to limp down here because we're going to make a declaration that this stuff is no longer in charge of my life. This is a new chapter. This is a new moment. And there's junk that needs to be. There's stuff that's trying to master over you that today I'm believing you're not going to go back to that old thing. I believe you're not going to find yourself going back to those thoughts, going back to that place. Folks, I don't know about you. I don't want to be 409. Anybody with me on this? I don't want to be 409. I'm going to get this right. I want to get it. You, you have tried everything. You've made promises. You've tried to think about the consequences. You try to think about and and none of it has delivered you. But today, I'm under grace. I've got a word. God, I know you're going to relieve this of, of its command today because I am under grace. If you're in the balcony, if you're on this main floor, if you're online, we're going to pray for you in just a moment. But if you're here today and just say, Pastor Tim, today this thing stops. No more chapters. No more. No more merry-go-rounds. No more stuff going back to that same. Today is a day of victory. Quickly, if that's you, I want you to get down here. I want to pray for you. Today we relieve. We relieve it of its command today. Quickly. As you come, as you come, let's sing together as Vicky and the team. Come on, as you begin to come, we're going to pray for you. Balcony, find your way to the exit. And if you're on this main floor, I want you to come. We're going to pray over every one of you today and believe for God to come with victory. Come on, Vicky, lead us as you come. I want you to come. Come on, come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There is an old place that you seem to keep ending up at. Be it literal, be it in your head, mind, and heart. It could be something on a phone. It could be something on a laptop. It could be something that you find yourself always going back to, a number to find significance and security. But today, we make a decision to find it in God today, to find everything we need in Him. How does David not count? Because the Lord had said. David does not, David did not count because the Lord had said a thousand years earlier, I'll multiply you. You don't have to recruit soldiers. You don't have to, you don't have to do that. I will take care of you. And those at the altar, look at me for a second before we pray. God will take care of you. God looks at you as significant. I want to tell you one quick story. And I just, I, listen, for those at the altar, I remember coming home from a church service. My son was in fourth grade. He fell asleep and he had, a, he had a note on his chest. Fourth grade. I don't know how old that would be. I don't know. Nine years old, maybe eight or nine. A note on his chest. And I remember picking it up. Our son is at Liberty, swims for Liberty. Great, great athlete, great kid. But just sitting there and the note said this, Lenny. It said this. He said, he wrote it to his teacher and he goes, I'm feeling sad because everyone says I'm adopted. And, and I, I know that my parents had me, but, but it's starting to, to, to weigh on me. And like, he writes this sad note, and I'm looking at this fourth grade note from this kid who I love. 
I'm telling you, I was, I was ready to go wait after school for all those fourth graders and take them out. I'm telling you right now, I was going like, let me grab some people. Let me get, I'm going to take out these four. I'm a pastor of a church and I'm going like, yeah, come on, come on. What you got fourth grader? I was ready. I don't have to fight fourth graders. Do you know what I remember doing? I remember taking my son and saying this to him. I pulled him aside and I said, listen, I am your father. You, Mom and I love you. You're not adopted. And even if you were, let me just say this to anybody who's adopted here. I want you to listen. You're, you're better off than us. Let me tell you why. I love this. One kid, I was reading the story of one kid that got, got teased for being adopted. This is what he said to them. He said, let me just remind you. He said, my parents chose me. Your parents got stuck with you. So let's just get that straight. Let's just get that straight. So if you're adopted, your parents chose you. Your parents chose you. But here's the miracle. And I told that boy, I said, said, Christian, when you go back to that school, you're going to have to believe one of two words. You either believe the words, what everybody else says, or you believe the word of your father. And your father says, I love you. You are ours. You belong to us. And there is a call and a touch of God upon your life. And look, those at this, no matter what they say about you outside, I want you to know that your heavenly father looks at you and says, you are mine. You belong to me. When you walk outside those doors, you belong to God. You belong to God. It's your choice every single time. Whose word am I going to listen to? David at that moment could have followed Joab and go, let's count again. But David goes, no, 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 no. I don't follow Joab. You're a, you're a train wreck in itself. But I'm following the words of Genesis 22:17 that says God will multiply us. God will be with us. And those at this altar, you're following the words of the Apostle Paul that says sin shall not master over you. You are not under law. You are under grace. And I'm here to tell you, when you put together God's word and God's grace, there is victory that's coming to your life today. Come on, lift your hands to him right now. Father, I'm believing over everyone here today, victory in Jesus' name. That God, I pray that when they leave this place, that there is joy that comes out of them. I pray that God, like we read in Psalm 106, 13, they will believe his promises and they will sing his praise. Father, they have chosen not to walk out of here grumbling, but to walk out of here in victory today. And we believe in Jesus' name for victory at this altar, victory in people's lives. Not the same website, not the same relationship, not the same house, not the same people. I pray today is a day of victory over their lives, that they believe God's word over everybody else's word today. Those that are watching from the UK, from Belize, those that are watching from Sweden and Slovakia, those that are watching from Germany and Amsterdam, we say, God, we pray victory over them. As they're watching, Father, from their house or from an airport, they're watching, God, from even a subway system. We say, God, today they trust your word and believe as we do on 51st and Broadway. Today is a day of victory in this house. Today, a victory in this house. Today, a victory in this house. Victory in this house today. Hallelujah! Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. 
Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.